Hi, I'm Justin Rosso, and welcome to this episode of the Next Step Podcast, where we help you take a next step. This Facebook Live reading is also episode seven of season four of the Next Step Podcast. So good to have you with us tonight. Hey, like always, these Facebook Live videos and our podcast is made possible through the support of Next Step patrons. Next Step patrons are people who have committed a regular amount every month. Uh, many of them are at the $3 level, some at $25 or $50, a few even over $100. They want to make sure that this mission and ministry of helping people delight in taking a next step continues. And so they set some money aside every month to make sure that can happen. So thank you, patrons, for making this possible. I've put a link in the description tonight. If that's something that you think you might be led towards exploring, check it out. We'd love to have you as a Next Step patron here at Next Step Press. Tonight I'll be reading from Delight, Discipleship as the Adventure of Loving and Being Loved. And we're going to be starting chapter 7, which begins on page 82. Well, the big news for me today was I got to pick up my daughter Liz. She'd been spending a couple days with her uncle and aunt and her cousins up in the Flint area. I picked her up a little bit early today and we went and we practiced parking this way and then parking that way and then parallel parking because tomorrow morning she's got her driver's test. So tomorrow morning bright and early I'll be sitting in the back seat with my mouth shut and sitting on my hands while my uh, my second daughter takes a driving test and I try not to, to die in the back seat. So that's the exciting news for me this week. What's exciting in your life? What's new? What's going on? How have you, how have you been? How's your pandemic going? Uh, I'm glad you, you're taking time out to be with me tonight. Thanks so much. You know, one of these videos already has over a thousand views, and most of them are getting between four and five hundred views, and that's really cool. It means a lot to me that you're liking these and sharing these. Uh, some of you have even started your own watch parties, or they see it go live and they share the video with other people, or share it uh, on your Facebook page after the fact and say, hey, here's something you need to check out. That really helps uh, a lot what we're doing here. And if you like this content and you want to share it, we'd love for you to make a comment and pass that link on to some of your family and friends as well. Well, without further ado, let's jump into this. It's uh, one of my favorite chapters, chapter seven. <clears throat> In some ways, this is where my whole delight journey began. Uh, this passage in Zephaniah 3 and reading it more carefully and noticing different words for delight. And that sent me into that whole kind of biblical search for vocabulary of delight in both the Old and New Testaments in Hebrew and in Greek and in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Made me wonder about our theology and, and dug in to see what Jesus said about delight and about joy and about rejoicing. And it's been quite a long journey, but some of it started especially here in what is now chapter 7. Chapter 7 is called, he will, he will Rejoice Over You With Singing. Section 1, Songs of Belonging. I remember when I was a little kid, I mean little, how my grandpa would cross his legs at his knee, set me down on his foot, as if it were a saddle, and hold both of my hands for balance, as if I were holding reins. Then Grandpa would bounce his leg on his knee and give me quite a horsey ride. I can still vividly picture that green tweed recliner, forbidden to anyone but Grandpa, which sat in the corner right next to the stone fireplace at the farm. I can still remember the spider plant on the windowsill, the beams of 
golden light from the lamp tree in the corner, and the mild smell of dog hair from the faithful pet whose master's attention I was usurping, mixed with a faint whiff of old man and aqua velva. But what I remember most is the song. I never found out if he made it up or if he had received it passed down from pre previous generations of grandpas, but whenever I rode the horsey, I was sure to hear my grandfather's warm baritone. A boom ba dee boom ba dee boom ba dee boo boom ba dee boom dee boo boom ba dee boom ba dee boom ba dee boo boom ba dee boom ba dee boop boop. And each syllable was accentuated with the movement of Grandpa's foot that sent me bouncing up and down. The final boop boop came with the kick so large I would have fallen off without his coarse hands holding me tight. It brought a squeal of delight every time. And my giggles would crack Grandpa up until I was laughing at his laughter and he was laughing at mine. I don't know where the song came from, or why it was so important, but I do know what it meant to me. Grandma was always the one who would wrap her arms around you and squeeze you tight and put her face right up next to yours for all kinds of hugs and snuggles and kisses. But Grandpa, the farmer and Lutheran pastor, usually expressed his love with a sidelong glance and a warm, if somewhat stiff, pat on the back. In later years, when I understood the jokes and could follow the theological conversations and got in on the sharp wit and keen sense of self-effacing humor, Grandpa's affection was much more real and tangible to me. But as, the, as a youngster, that song was the deepest and warmest and most personal expression of love and pride and delight that I knew from my Grandpa. Years later, a much older man still took his great-granddaughter, Naomi, my firstborn, and crossed his legs and held her frail hands and bounced her up and down it until she squealed with glee, all the while singing, A boom ba dee boom ba dee boom dee boo boom ba dee boom dee boo I'll always have that memory of Grandpa bouncing me on his knee and singing of Grandpa bouncing my daughter on his knee and singing. All of us grandkids share that experience. To know that song and to receive that song, to have that song sung over you, means you have a place in our family. You are loved. You are special. You belong. Sometimes songs are like that. They let you know you belong to the family. My family has adopted and modified a unique birthday song that first came from my Aunt Nancy's family. After you sing Happy Birthday with an extra God's blessings to you, more often than not, you must move immediately into a rendition of Come, children, and join in our festival song. It's quite a lovely tune and a wonderful addition to our family tradition. Except. Except that when it came into our family, we added a family twist. Now, when it comes to the very last verse, and you all sing, Happy birthday to you! 
Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Nancy. Happy birthday to you. Everyone inserts tickling for emphasis. Happy birthday to you, tickle. Happy birthday to you, tickle. Happy birthday, dear Nancy. Tickle, tickle, poke. Happy birthday to you. Tickle, tickle, poke, 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 squeeze, tickle, poke. It can get a little bit rowdy, and at least one of my children suffers from PTBDTP, post-traumatic birthday tickle phobia, but living through full contact birthday songs is part of what it means to belong to our family. In my family, you always tickle the ones you love. Do you have something like that? Do you have a family rite of passage, a story or a joke or a song, something that lets you know you belong to a unique group of loved individuals who all belong to each other? What are some of the ways you connected with your parents or your grandparents, with your kids or your grandkids? Was there a special song for bed, a special book you always read or a prayer you always said together? Not every family, not every family memory is a pleasant one, and not every family habit is healthy in my family or in yours. Still, you can catch glimpses of relationship and caring even in this present fallen experience that identify your family or circle of friends as people who belong together. I remember... I vividly remember a song my mother used to sing to me when I was small, like in the crib small. She must have sung it when I was older too because I remember it, but I continue to associate that song with some of my earliest memories. Even though it's been years since I've heard her sing it, the haunting melody still sends tingles down my spine. hush don't you cry. Go to sleep, my little baby. When you wake, you shall find all the pretty little horses, dapples and greys, pintos and bays, all the pretty little horses. Our first child, Naomi, was born quite a bit early, and when she finally came home from the hospital, she was still so small. Just a little gecko of a baby. You could cup her whole fragile body between your palm and your forearm. She wasn't quite big enough to actually cry. She just kind of squeaked. I vividly remember putting that featherweight on my shoulder when she fussed and singing to her quietly. Hush a don't you cry. Go to sleep, my little baby. In that moment, I was connected to my mother and my daughter. That intimate, tender expression of love and compassion bound us together as family. That song created and passed on an experience of belonging of being loved, of being family. Do you have something like that? Section 2. Intimate Delight Expressed in Song 
Zephaniah 3.17 helped us look at the emotional experience of joyful delight back in chapter 1. Remember, the delight words rejoice and gladness are balanced with jump for joy, the woo-hoo word exult, and the whole verse leads to song. The Lord will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. That's the ESV. I really do love that verse. And for many years, this verse led me to imagine the God of the whole universe holding me tenderly like a mother holds an infant on her shoulder and just as tenderly comforting me in love, calming my fears and quieting my cries with a lullaby of joy. He will take great delight in you. He will rejoice over you with singing. Can't you just imagine God holding you close and singing tenderly? Hush don't you cry. Go to sleep, my little darling. I love that verse. I love that image. It turns out Zephaniah 3 isn't about a mother and her infant. As we saw in chapter 1, Zephaniah 3 is actually about a mighty warrior singing a song of victory. But while I imagined that particular verse in Zephaniah wrong, my image of a mother delighting over her child is thoroughly biblical. A more appropriate home base for that image would be something like Isaiah chapter 46. Uh, This is verses 3 and 4 in the ESV. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb. Even to your old age, I am he. And to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. I will carry and will save. God's words in Isaiah 43 push my image of a mother singing over a small infant back a few months. This is a mother so full of joy she sings over the baby in her womb. Think of Mary singing the Magnificat while pregnant with Jesus. If it seems a little odd to use in utero imagery for grown adults, Consider how the Almighty God takes pains to make sure you know this means you. Even to your old age I am he, and to gray hairs I will carry you. It doesn't matter how long ago you were born, your relationship with the God who delights in you is somehow mysteriously like the baby carried in the womb of a tender mother. I have made, and I will bear, I will carry, and will save. The focus is on God's heart and God's action while the child passively receives. I know my mom sang tender lullabies over me even before I was born. And I know that I don't know what is li- and I know that I don't know what it's like to be a mom or to carry an infant to term. I know not every mother has a great experience of pregnancy. I know one mom who couldn't shake the comparison to the movie Aliens the entire time she was pregnant. There's this strange creature inside of me, and it's not me, and it's feeding on me, and I can't wait to get it out of me. That's not the best experience of pregnancy. In spite of the fact that not every woman enjoys carrying a child, and some pregnancies are really difficult, and some women never experience the desire to have a child, and some women who desperately long for motherhood struggle with complications, in spite of all the ways our fallen and broken experience has from the beginning of sin's influence 
turn the gift of childbearing into a curse. For many moms, an experience of delight still belongs to the process of carrying a child. I can't know that experience firsthand, but I have heard stories from my mother and sister and other friends. I've watched my wife struggle, yes, but also take great joy in carrying the life that we created together in love. I've only experienced putting my hand on the outside of her belly to feel the baby kick. And believe me, I know at some point every mom gets tired of experiencing the kicking from the inside, but I have been there when Miriam said, Honey, come quick, she's moving again. Can you feel that? I've seen my wife place a hand on her growing belly and stare into the middle distance with a smile on her face, lost in awe. And I've also heard her cry and yell and call me all kinds of rotten names for doing something this terrible to her again. So whether your experience of pregnancy is firsthand or secondhand or only from afar, whether your thoughts of pregnancy are full of joy or grief or pain, whatever complications your own history with those wonderful and awful and terrifying and hormone-ridden months of growing another human being inside your body are, I hope you know someone who at some point loved being pregnant and sang over the baby in their womb. Because that's what God thinks of you. The tender love and delight that only a mother carrying a baby can know is central to what God thinks about you and how you experience God. In fact, that tender love and delight is central to who God is. I know we typically call God Father. Indeed, both Old and New Testaments use Father and King as two of the most central ways for thinking about and talking about God. But the kind of tender love exhibited by a mother for her unborn child is not merely a side metaphor for God's love. Tender love is a central aspect of God's nature. At least, I'm extremely suspicious that the scriptures want us to consider that tender love of a pregnant mother as one of God's most central identity markers, a key to God's character and personality. The more I learn about delight, the more tender love and compassion make sense for the Almighty God. Section 3. A Mother's Tender Delight I am suggesting that this delight of a mother carrying her child is central to who God actually is. I make this tentative suggestion not based only on Isaiah 46 or other mother metaphors for God in the Bible. There are a few, though father and king are by far the more prominent. But also in light of one of the Hebrew words for God's mercy and compassion, and more specifically, where that vocabulary shows up in the story. Moses, for example, in his farewell sermon to the people of Israel as they prepare to enter the Promised Land, contrasts God's wrath against sin with God's more characteristic attitude of grace. This is Deuteronomy 13, 17. 
None of the devoted things shall stick to your hand, that the Lord may turn from the fierceness of his anger and show you mercy and have compassion on you and multiply you as he swore to your fathers. David, at a key point in the story, in confession after his sin with Bathsheba comes to light, David appeals to God's own nature. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. That's Psalm 51.1. The prophet Jeremiah, in the midst of his deep grief over fallen Jerusalem, still clings to the defining characteristic of Yahweh, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. After Ezra reads the book of the law to the people returned from exile, Nehemiah leads the people in a lengthy prayer of confession and dependence on God for restoration. Nehemiah's prayer comes back again and again to the fundamental identity marker of who God is in relationship to God's sinful people. Because of your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the wilderness. But when they were oppressed and they cried out to you, from heaven you heard them, and in your great compassion you have delivered them. And when they cried out to you again, you heard from heaven, and in your compassion you delivered them time after time. But in your great mercy you did not put an end to them or abandon them, for you are gracious and merciful." That's Nehemiah 9, verses 19, 27 to 28, and 31. Each of these verses, taken from different key moments in the story of God's people, from entering the Promised Land, to the reign of King David, to the fall of Jerusalem, to the return from exile, all of these key moments refer to God's compassion and mercy as a central characteristic of who God is an identity marker that is true even when God's people are false. When God has compassion or mercy, God is simply being true to who God actually is. And in each and every one of these verses, the Hebrew words translated as mercy or compassion are all directly related to the Hebrew word for womb. God's character as Father is central to the way Scripture tells the story of salvation. And one central characteristic of this Almighty Father is the tender compassion God consistently shows to sinful people. The tender compassion most clearly understood as the loving heart a mother has for the child in her womb. Listen to me, God says to you again today. You have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb. Even to your old age, I am the one. I'm the one who's loved you from your conception, carried you when you were unable to carry yourself. I am the one who all this time has provided for you, the one who freely gives you of myself. I am closer to you than you can imagine. I support you and surround you in ways beyond your understanding. You bring me joy you cannot yet begin to comprehend, and I give you life every single day. 
Growing up and growing old can't change this intimate connection we share. To gray hairs I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. I will carry and will save. It doesn't matter how old you are. You are still my baby. Still carried by me. Still dependent on me for everything you need. Even when you don't know it. And I love it that way. You are mine and I delight in you. I will protect you and carry you and provide for you until I can welcome you finally into a face-to-face -face relationship and introduce you to the rest of the family. Hushabye, don't you cry. Go to sleep, my little baby. This tender compassion of a mother for the child in her own body is a central feature of God's character, a central feature of God's relationship with you. No matter how old or experienced you are, no matter how gray or how absent the hair on your head is, being tenderly carried by God the way a mother carries her unborn child is one of the most central and important ways the inspired scriptures want you to experience your relationship with God. You are not in control. In fact, there is more going around on in fact, there is more going on around you than you are even capable of comprehending. You are completely dependent on someone else for everything you need, even in ways you cannot articulate or understand. That complete dependence is good news because the someone else you are completely dependent on loves you, delights in you, rejoices over you. Tender compassion is central to your relationship and your growth brings joy. Even though you won't outgrow dependence until you enter a whole different experience of life, you are still being carried. And that is both a relief and a delight. I don't know that Jesus had Isaiah 46 specifically in mind, but childlike dependence seems to be central to his teaching on what it means to be a part of God's kingdom. You know verses like, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. That's Luke 18.16. But do you remember the context? Luke 18.15 says, People were also bringing babies. The Greek word is brephos, babies to Jesus for him to take to place his hands on them. Jesus is referring to babies when he talks about that kind of. Jesus is referring to babies when he talks about the kind of little children that are able to enter the kingdom. These are infants who have to be carried by mom if they're going to get there at all. In fact, the Greek word for babies in Luke 18.15, brephos, people were also bringing brephos to babies, to, to Jesus, can mean a newborn infant, but the word just as likely refers to an embryo in the womb. John the Baptist was a brephos in Elizabeth's womb when he leapt for joy at Mary's greeting in Luke 1 verse 41, while Jesus was also a brephos when he was wrapped in cloths the night he was born and laid in a manger. That's Luke 2, 16. So brephos refers to babies, whether in utero or newborn, babies that must be carried 
that must be given everything they need. Babies that cannot do anything on their own or for themselves. And according to Jesus, if you can't receive the kingdom like a brephos, you can't get in at all. Although there are plenty of times we get to be actively engaged in this disciple journey, discipleship journey, and plenty of ways the Bible has for talking about the delight of actively developing our faith, there is a fundamental sense in which we are always and only the tiny child in utero who relies and depends on her mother's care in ways she is not even able to understand. Perhaps all of our growth and discipleship is simply coming to a clearer and clearer understanding that our desperate dependence on Jesus. Uh, perhaps all of our growth and discipleship is simply coming to a clearer and clearer understanding of our desperate dependence on Jesus for absolutely everything. That dependence on Jesus is a great gift. That dependence is not intended as a burden, but as a joy. The mother delights in her unborn child. The child kicks and jumps in the womb to hear her mother's voice. The two of them connected in intimate, personal, and mutual ways, marked by tender compassion and delight, and extremely difficult to capture in words. That image of a child, or brephos, completely dependent on her mother's compassion, captures an essential element of your relationship with God. It's not the only essential element, but you need this image of delight to understand just how tenderly God takes care of you, provides for you, and carries you even to your old age and tired faith and weary prayers. Rest in that promise of being carried. Revel in your dependence. Rejoice in God's tender delight. And that, my friends, is where we'll stop for tonight. Thinking of God's tender delight for you. He's got you. He's carrying you. It doesn't matter how old or how young. It doesn't matter how actively engaged you are. You're still fundamentally being carried by God. Filled with his spirit as his spirit shapes you to be a little bit more like Jesus. Hey, thanks so much for joining me tonight. We'll be back here at the same bat time, same bat station tomorrow night at 8 o'clock central. Hey, check out that uh, Next Step Patreon page. See if maybe being a patron is something you, you might like to do. Or like, share this video on your Facebook page. Perhaps invite somebody to, to join tomorrow's reading uh, as, as a part of a watch party or something like that. Would love to continue to spread the word. Hey, thanks for joining me for, to, for tonight's reading, and we will see you next time here at Next Step Press. Uh, thanks for joining you. Uh, thanks for joining us. See you next time. Good night.